you're here for someone else, stop it. It's time for us to do a searching inventory of our own lives. Once we have stood up against spiritual intimidation, we must be sure to put Christ first in our own lives. There is perhaps no grander theme than the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Air Jaron. This series on the Book of Colossians is written and taught by Dr. Jim Cece and is a production of Global Radio Ministries and Jaron Ministries International. Colossians 3, 1-17 Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked, when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And now, with part one of Putting Christ First, is Dr. Cece. Well, thank you for being with us here this morning, and in this, our second of two morning worship services here at Campus Bible Church of Fresno. I have to admit that I stand before you weary of body. I got home late last night, having traveled um, to my 45th high school reunion. Those folks are much too old to be my classmates. I won't tell you what they said as they saw me. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Take out those study outlines that we provided for you. You know, a number of years ago, the publishers of a history book asked 28 historians, educators, and journalists to rate the most significant events in human history. If you were given that task, what might you say? 
First on the list was Columbus's discovery of America, followed secondly by the invention of the printing press. There were 11 events that tied for third place, and it was a five-way tie for fourth place. But listen to what was in fourth place. The U.S. Constitution, the invention of ether, the discovery of the X-ray, the flight of the Wright brothers, and fifth, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's a whole long list of events preceding that. And I got to thinking about that as I looked at the date of that list and thought, what would they do if it was a more modern history book? And I, I think that Jesus would have a, an even lower place in history, sadly. But the issue today is not what is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the list of historical events in human history. But where does he stand in my history? Because history is really his story, but it's also my story. Uh, when I was walking among the crowd of people and they look at your name tag because they don't recognize your body, And you get into the conversation of what have you been doing. I was surprised at how many of them were retired. I thought, I just started ministry a week ago. It feels that way. And of course, when they found out that I was a pastor, there were lots of comments. One girl came up to me and she said, so you're a minister, huh? That's no surprise. You were rather nice in high school. Then she looked at my name tag and realized she had the wrong person. <laughs> Class reunions, in which we try to summarize our history. I, I, I said to one guy, so what have you done with your life? How would you like to, in one minute, encapsulate 45 years? You know, every school has a Fonzie. Well, we had a Fonzie who rode a Harley and wore black leathers. And when I saw him, and he was one of my buddies uh, in high school, I didn't recognize him because he's, he's tall and bald and he's a banker. <laughs> so what have you done with your life? It's a great question. See, we have been studying an epistle, a letter, that has laid for us what really should be the theme of our lives. In fact, we've been constantly reminded of the biblical mandate in Colossians 1.18, for example, of where our priorities have needed to be if we're going to live a substantial life, not measured by our retirement portfolio or the human successes or how many children or grandchildren we have. And he laid it out in chapter 1, verse 18 so clearly when he said, Jesus Christ is also head of the body of the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. 
Now that would have been quite a statement to make. What have you done with your life? I put Jesus first. Oh, the preeminence of Christ. The first placeness of Jesus. The lordship of our Savior in history. In my history. And folks, I would submit to you that there is no grander theme, there is no more important subject for anyone who calls him herself a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when a human being decides to respond to God's grace, not his doing, it's God's doing, but decides to be a effective follower of Jesus Christ, an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ, then it requires putting Christ first in our lives. And in so doing, affecting every other area of our life, our relationship to God, our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to others, our relationship to our family, our friends, our studies, our job, our worship, our Christian service, our, our intellect, our will, our emotion, even our speech. It's such a grand theme. And it is a necessary study. And I believe there is no better presentation of the preeminence of Jesus Christ than right here in Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Where the Apostle Paul is incarcerated in a Roman prison around 61 AD and he, he takes a quill pen and a piece of papyrus and he, he writes a letter to a, a group of people in the city of Colossae. People like you and me. But they were gathered in a local assembly of God's people, God's elect, God's church. And they were being bombarded from the outside and influenced from the inside to put everything else first in their lives except Christ. And like your life and my life, their lives were a flurry of activity. They had to also eke out a living and raise a family and try to follow Christ while living in a pagan culture just like you and me. But at the heart of all of those earthly activities, they were faced with the same vital question that you and I have been faced with all of our lives. Where is Jesus in all of this? Where was Jesus in your life in junior high and high school, in college, in your employment and career pursuits, in your raising of a family? And your retirement in the years and to follow until you're at the moment of death. Where is Jesus in all of this? And so we have been studying Colossians. And everything that we've covered for the last 25 weeks has prepared us for today and following. You see, chapter 1 and 2 presents what we call the theological side of the epistle. And chapters 3 and 4 are the practical side. And some of you have wondered why we've spent so much time going verse by verse, phrase by phrase, word for word through that section. I want to tell you why. It forms the foundation. Because you and I will never, ever, ever understand chapter 3 and 4 until we take to heart and live chapter 1 and 2. 
It is in this third and fourth chapters where we find one of the most precise presentations of what might be called practical Christian living, but I call the road trip to spiritual growth. That when asked the question at your 10th or 20th or 30th or 40th or 50th or 60th high school reunion, you can describe a life with Christ at the wheel. That you've gone down this road of life not on your own, singing I did it my way. Look what I did. Look at all my accolades and awards. Look at all my kids and grandkids. There's something more substantial. But I would submit to you that we cannot even understand or accept or apply the practical side of Colossians until we bear in mind and take to heart the theological side as well. See, those of you that have been in any form of academics or advanced education or academic pursuit know the importance of the word thesis. It's not just a big, long paper you do to get a master's. In my case, I did one of those, and then I did a dissertation and all that stuff for a doctorate. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the foundation. I'm talking about the proposition. I'm talking about that one or two sentence statement that you hold on to because if not, you'll, you'll lose the forest through the trees. It is arguable that the four steps to any pursuit is thesis is step one, thesis is step two, thesis is step three, and thesis is step four, so that you don't get invaded by the antithesis. The false proposition, the false statements, that your heart and my heart lives out every single day because of the flesh and because of the world and because of the devil. So I would submit to you that we have been bearing in mind and taking to heart for some 25 weeks a thesis, a propositional statement that becomes the statement of our life if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And here it is. If Jesus Christ is the exalted Son of God, and we spend all of chapter 1 and chapter 2 identifying that. If he is, and he is. And if we believers are exalted with him, and in chapter 3, verse 1 and following, he will tell us we are. If then you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, and not on the things on the earth, because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is exalted, and we are exalted. And if those things be true, and they are, how then shall we live? And that's the thesis. That's the propositional statement. That's what needs to be asked at any reunion of people, of any gathering of family, of any discussion between two human beings. Where is Jesus in all this thing? What is the thesis of your life? What is the foundation of your being? What's your raison d'etre, as the, as the French say? What's your reason for existence? And Paul's answer is pointed. 
is that we as followers of Jesus Christ, who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, have one propositional statement by which we live, and that is that we put Christ first in everything. And that we not just study preeminence, we live it. Evidenced by how we daily submit to his lordship. Yet you know, there's so much talk theologically about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Banterings over words, and none enough talk about what it means daily to submit to the authority of Christ in our lives. What does it mean to put Christ first? Well, here in the second half of the epistle, Paul's going to get very specific. In fact, so specific that it's going to take me months to go through it. And I have a fear as a teacher that you will lose the trees, or rather the forest, as I begin to identify the trees and the limbs and, and as Martin Luther said, even the leaves. So I need to do what every teacher should do, and that's to first do a flyover. And to begin this semester by giving you an overview of where we're going to go. The only difference is I don't know when graduation day is. And I want you to follow along in your outlines. Okay, call it a syllabus. Call it whatever it takes for you to keep in mind that this is the school of life today. And, and we're going to take a bird's eye view of our theme, our thesis, our, our proposition with a simple understanding where does Christ need and want to be first in our lives? And we begin with the overall, putting Christ first in our lives. Before us in this epistle is a passage of scripture that has changed my life. And I chose to memorize this passage in another version. And one day I was having a dream. In the middle of that dream, I quoted Colossians chapter 3 and I woke up in verse 17. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So I want to read this passage to you in the version in which we're studying, New American Standard Version. Listen carefully, please. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not in the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, an abusive speech from your mouth. And do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there was no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, 
But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, without wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. When I was at the reunion yesterday, a number of my classmates remembered what I did as employment while I was with them. I worked at Dairy Queen and Flip Burgers for two weeks, and then I moved on to a longer job in which I uh, was a soda jerk. Now I'm just a jerk. But I, was a, I worked at an ice cream store, and every Sunday night at the ice cream store, we had to do inventory. One of my jobs was to make the ice cream. I needed to know what supply we had on hand. And so I would take a clipboard. You all remember what one of these was? Now we have these scanners that do that. And I have another co-worker who would go in the freezer with me, would bundle ourselves up, and we'd inventory the ice cream, Rocky Road, three, vanilla, four, you know, so that I would know how much to manufacture that week. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's saying, I want you to take out your clipboard. I'm going to fly over your life. I'm going to ask you some questions about yourself. It's time to take spiritual inventory of who you are. Not an inventory that somebody else is making, an inventory of your own life. That's exactly what we want to do in this. So we start out with the very first statement, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. How many of you would put a tick mark next to that question? Raise your hand. I'm a disciple. Tick. Therefore, you begin to ask yourself some Heart-piercing questions. Am I continually seeking and thinking, thinking about things of God? Tick. Tick. Or no ticks. Am I putting to death immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry? Am I, am I treating them as dead? Tick. No. Tick. Yes, no. Am I putting aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech? Am I throwing them aside like a pile of filthy clothes? Tick, tick. Am I stopping the habit of lying to others? Am I putting on a heart of compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Am I putting on this new set of clothes because you put on a new self? Tick, tick. No tick. Not so much. Give myself a three on a ten. Am I bearing with others? Am I forgiving others? Am I putting on love which unifies? Am I letting the peace of Christ rule in me like that umpire, that person calling the plays and the shots in my life? Am I act being continuously thankful 
Am I letting God's Word dwell in me richly? Am I teaching and admonishing others? And ultimately, am I putting Christ first in everything I do and say, read with me verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Now that was a very quick inventory of what we're going to cover for weeks and weeks and weeks. But ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to do a searching inventory of our own lives. And if you're here for someone else, stop it. This is your time. This is my time. This is our time individually as we stand before the throne of grace and ask the hard questions and answer them honestly. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. This is drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand